Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today uh, or listening in on the podcast. Uh, Drew Noel here, head of uh, GTM Operations uh, Advisory at MadKudu. Uh, stoked to have you all with us um, and interviewing Ben Pollock from Charhop, head of growth over there. Uh, super excited to have you with us, Ben. Uh, welcome to Mops Confessions. Drew, it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fantastic. Uh, we've, we've definitely got the, uh, the bi-coastal uh, action today. Uh, I'm out here on the West Coast. Uh, you're uh, out in the New York area, Brooklyn, um, and it's pretty awesome. Like in our, in our pregame, just the uh, conversation about, uh, you know, the, the good food scene uh, in Brooklyn, like, cause I was there recently. So, uh, so fantastic to just connect on, uh, you know, the more human side of things uh, before we, we jump into uh, talking shop. But uh, no, great to meet you. Great to have you with us. So, uh, so let's hit it. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Sentiment shared. Awesome. So, uh, you know, first off, I mean, you're, you're heading up growth uh, marketing at, at Charthop. Super interested to hear from you just generally like your focus there and, and how you kind of got there. Yeah, so um, I joined ChartHop uh, as around the 20th employee uh, about a year and a half ago uh, at a really advantageous time where ChartHop had established some product market fit, uh, built an initial team, um, and we were ready to pour a little bit of fuel on that fire and, and start to catalyze some growth. And uh, in that, started running more so demand gen side of things, but that quickly started to encompass a broader lens about, around our go-to-market, how operations, revenue, sales, and marketing support that. Um, so over the past year and a half, I have been certainly privileged to have a lot of my amazing teammates join me and in addition to the other folks that I joined originally um, and, and lead the growth marketing team. And my role, my team's role is to really identify revenue opportunity, whether that's through operations, through demand channels, or obviously both, um, and, and execute a go to market to drive that in addition to um, you know, marketing to our current customers, making sure that they're happy and renewing uh, and everything in between. Brilliant. So cool. So, uh, you know, it, it, and as also, as we were kind of prepping for our conversation today, you know, you have a, a really interesting background in kind of what led you to, uh, the, the growth role and also like, you know, a growth career path. Right. Um, so interested to hear, uh, you, you were previously BDR, uh, yeah. you know, back in the day. So yeah. want to hear kind of like, how that evolution happened really quickly. And I think it's interesting because from my perspective too, I've had SDR type roles and also as an, as an ops uh, grunt through my career, like sat next to the bullpen with the SDRs, things like that. Uh -huh. uh, so super interested to hear what you saw coming from that BDR perspective and what made you want to get, uh, basically make that jump over into uh, ops and growth. Yeah. And, and my, my first you know statement is like growth is not a straight line. It's certainly not linear. It's also some folks describe it as like this winding up and down journey. And I'd actually say that it's it's more so a three axis game. It's up, down, but it's also back and forth. And uh, I've had the privilege uh, of being able to ex experience a lot of those ups and downs and ins and outs to try to find my, my, my niche or what I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so Coming out of undergrad, I wanted to go be a psychologist and get a PhD. And when I graduated, I obviously panicked. And uh, what else do you do when you panic? You go be a BDR in tech sales. 
And that's what I did. And, uh, that was my first foray really into anything business related. I, all of my college work was research and uh, different, like uh, more academic focused work. And I learned a lot uh, being a BDR and it starts with understanding workflows and pipeline and what you need to go chase to help achieve your goals. What input equals output, what uh, cadences or paradigms or workflows, whatever you're working with is helpful for you. And there's also this like, classic BDR moment where there's something set up and then you're doing it and you're like, mm, I know that might work for the greater group, but I'm going to do it differently. And in that context, uh, my boss at the time was like, yeah, rock it, do it. And, and I'm really grateful for her because it allowed me to foray my first step into what I would call sales ops, which was where I was analyzing my own funnel because I was having success as a BDR. And I was recognizing that if I did these five or six things differently, put more folks in at the top of the funnel that fit the ICP, uh, brought up personalization tokens before I sent folks down my Pardot sequence, I could achieve more results at scale and do it in quicker time. So that was my first kind of at least essence or notion of, I really like this and I, I might be good at it. Eventually that role, uh, as we scaled our BDR and our sales team, turned into a, a valuable role that was needed for the business because what I could help the team with was greater than the overall slice that I could build. Right. Um, and so my next step actually at that same company uh, as a curious human being was, we started to run some other types of demand gen campaigns, mostly around like paid social ads. And I was really curious about it because I was getting served those on Instagram all the time. And I took a class and I learned that. And so what started as me doing my own outreach, sourcing my own pipe, slowly transitioned into me creating more overall pipe for the business, understanding sales ops and efficiency within. And that for me drove me more. Uh, I was more, I I'm more interested in the overall go to market and the overall pizza rather than one slice, if you will. Um, and then that, you know, transition through the years in tipping my toes in both demand gen and ops and growth and uh, has really empowered me uh, with the knowledge that I have today to be able to do uh, combine all of those roles. No, that's brilliant. Now, and, and I mean, you know, you talk about really, you know, getting into, you know, paid social and, you know, testing out different channels and, and starting to, you know, I mean, first off, dabble in that, but then expand into, you know, really a professional capacity of, of tracking that. And of course, you know, running a whole team that's, that's doing those types of activities now. I mean, super interesting. And I think it's something that maybe we sometimes in, in the regular marketing operations space, especially if you're like, you know, a, a systems person, um, maybe, or you're, you know, we were talking about kind of, I was talking about this with another customer um, of Mekudu today and, and it was a this aspect of combination of process systems or data right and and that's really where like ops people have a tendency to kind of be super strong on like one or two of those but not necessarily all three mm -hmm. uh, and i think it's it's interesting too because you know you kind of go up funnel you look at you know those things that are actually driving demand or growth on the the top of the funnel and those things that of course are triggering lower in the funnel or with the follow-up post-qualification um, and those are very much the domain of you know the the demand gen organization or the growth organization um, working in coordination with sales but very often it's it's like a piece that ops doesn't get near enough to 
Uh, and I think it's interesting that, you know, you probably have some great ideas or, or specific findings um, around channels or upstream touch points and their correlation to mid funnel velocity and also, you know, encouraging SDR, BDR and AE engagement. Um, and wanted to hear what maybe some of those findings are and, you know, just generally or even specifically if you've, you've seen especially successful uh, actions and their correlations. Yeah, I'll start general and then I'll outline a couple specific examples for you. Cool. Uh, my first day at ChartHop, I actually presented, uh, it was coincidentally our, our presentation, the marketing team's time to present. And I just talked on one slide and the slide itself uh, was super simple. It was a pyramid. And up top was all these little boxes in pyramid form. And those were growth tactics and channels and touch points, uh, not just paid, but like referral, word of mouth, flywheel, press, other types of brand opportunities, paid search, paid social, SEO, name it, uh, outbound, of course. And at the bottom was just a big brick, a big block. And it said operations uh, because <laughs> that's the high level idea, right? If you don't have an operations team and a dimension team that are lockstep, you're not going to have close alignment between understanding what works, understanding what doesn't, having your operations team fuel the data driven or data informed decision making. I say it so lightly because attribution is difficult and you can't make every single decision you have off of data points. You should rely on your gut. It's actually a newfound viewpoint for me. I used to be like, oh, no, it's all data driven 100% of the time. It's always data informed. Yeah. You should use qualitative discussions that you have with partners and customers in part of your decision making. Uh, and rely on trend lines that may not be causal or statistically significant and use your own judgment uh, to make a call. But at a high level, you need ops to support demand. And without demand gen, you know, ops might not uh, be able to shine as much as it could. And so mean, my whole shake is that. What would ops have to do? Like, <laughs> they have nothing to do without demand gen, right? My, my ops team is going to be kicking me for that one. Uh, but I'm obviously kidding. Here's a couple specific examples of how I view ops fueling demand gen and fueling growth. One of them is more on the go-to-market side and one of them is more on the attribution side. So starting with the first, uh, our whole one, two, three go-to-market playbook is super simple. Understand the accounts that need us and why. Operationalize the data within, empower the team to go to market towards them. That's one step, that's the second step. And then measure, how'd you do? Did it work? Did it not? Rinse and repeat your learnings. So how do you bring this data in? How do you enrich your database to understand these are the accounts in target segments, in regions specific for this type of campaign? Here's the signal or the uh, intent data point that is showing us this is the right campaign to put them down and this is the right time to do it. None of that is demand gen so far. You just identified a go-to-market plan and a target to do so based on operational infrastructure within Salesforce, HubSpot, Clearbit, Outreach. That's kind of our stack. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm at Kudu if we have more time, which we will eventually, of course. Um, then finally, it's like, how do you deploy? Well, if this is the target segment and this is the messaging and this is the pain point, we can run paid here. We can do a community play here. We can have BDRs go this way. Great. Let's consolidate. Let's organize. Let's go to market. Strong. Let's mm -hmm. give it a chance. And let's circle back. And so we've rinsed and repeat that type of framework a few times now, and it's been really successful for us. But ops is fueling demand. Demand is going to market. Demand is then recognizing what's working through ops and analysts. And then you're refueling that 
vicious or virtuous cycle, not vicious, but also vicious uh, again and again. That's one. Yeah. The second is more simple around attribution. We haven't solved it. I don't think many orgs have. Uh, Chris Walker, who I think was, your, uh, was on your podcast a while ago, gave uh, the best attribution trick there is, and it's a how'd you hear form. We have two we have two fields on our forms. Email, how'd you hear? That's all we need to know. But we also layer in all the UTMs and anything else we can. And it's leveraging really complex workflows within HubSpot or other types of systems to ingest information, attach it to specific objects, leads, contacts, accounts, products, ops, you name it. And then look back and be like, was this spend effective? Was it not? Um, you know, we don't report on MQLs at, at Charhop. To us, they're an important part of our story. They give us and my, you know, our performance team a ton of decision making around, yeah, this this did indeed drive qualified leads who were looking for a demo, thus they were MQLs. But at the end of the day, it's about what's driving revenue, reporting on the revenue, earning the exec and leadership team's respect to be able to do that by leveraging the intermediary funnel data to get there. No, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it, and, and that's an interesting point that comes out of that is the, and I mean, I'm hearing all of the, the test check, like, you know, continuous, like I would say viciously virtuous cycle, like in order to, to modify that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, if, if we were to look at those intervals, um, you know, what are some suggestions you might have about basically setting those start and stop points within intervals for giving the opportunity for that pipeline to be potentially developed? Um, is it different by channel? Is it is it unique to a specific go-to-market motion? Like if you're going outbound, then you, of course, give us a certain amount of time versus inbound, maybe you're expecting a certain uh result by a given point in time. What are some of your thoughts there? Um, it's nuanced depending on your team and what you're doing, uh, mostly based on what's your deal cycle, what's your product, how complex is it? What segment do you sell into? I can give an example for us. Yeah. Um, we release a self-serve product, so it's free um, up to a point. Um, and that for us, we knew really quickly whether or not some campaigns were going to work to dr simply drive lead gen and acquisition. Yeah. Right. So we're bidding on X, Y, Z. We're running these types of AdWords. We run it for three to four weeks. We can get a good gut sense of, is this flopping and we need to kill it and, rent and try something else? Or is this succeeding and should we further put effort in to optimize? Mm -hmm. So there's some tactics and some go to markets that you can pretty quickly get a sense of. Um, that said, there are others that take a lot of time and, um, as an example there, we released a, uh, a, a magazine on honoring people leaders, chart hop sells into HR technology, um, okay. into people and finance leaders. So we put a go to market in place that was honoring people leaders that we think are doing a great job and empowering them and supporting them and promoting them on social and building out content and halo content to get more in the weeds on what they're doing and how they're doing it. That campaign is really hard to measure the impact of, right? So we now are, are five months out from that. And I would say just now at this point, we're getting to a sense to look at the brand traffic we drove, the downloads we drove, how that impacted pipeline. Did it help velocity? Are there other anecdotal tidbits that we're hearing from our sales team that were like, yep, that's it. That totally was the accomplished goal. Or like, no, it flopped. And being, and also within that as a side point, feeling free to fail 
is something that I believe comes from the top down in terms of leadership. Our leadership team supports that. So we are not here trying to cookie cutter and say, this worked. We're always hypercritical with what we're doing. And to your point, the time frame is super important. The play is super important. Is this a velocity only play? Is it top of funnel? Is it a little bit of both? Another example for us would be on the field side. Uh, we do some regional type events and those that's a big time velocity play and customer engagement play. You won't see that play out for six to 12 months, right? Until the customer is up for renewal or until, uh, that deal with an enterprise org has started to finally come to fruition. And you can look back at that touch point and be like, that made a difference. Yeah. Um, so it depends on the, the channel, the tactic, the segment. Um, and you should obviously, you know, measure accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, you know, that, that point, and this was something we touched on in our preliminary conversation too, is, is the interesting aspect. And I think this goes to, you know, applying real world, approach to the data that you might have it also speaks to the point that that chris makes around like attribution models being kind of you know potentially broken if they're completely you know applied in a rote fashion mm -hmm. uh, you know the the biggest thing is, is that of course you're you're spending money on certain actions that are going to ge uh, generate goodwill that are going to really enforce your brand position within the marketplace that are going to strengthen your overall experience for the customer and for that to kind of be thrown out because it doesn't necessarily directly convert into a dollar value even though it has you know maybe softer impacts on velocity within the pipeline or uh you know just you could say like the the grease on the wheels as things kind of move through like final deal negotiation legal things like that to actually get things closed in deals mm -hmm. i think that those points can very often be overlooked and and i mean to to what we were discussing i think that that extends to you know as we kind of head into a bit of a market downturn you know do we see growth marketers you know being forced into a position where they have to cut budgets on maybe, you know, a more brand centric strategy. And really does mm -hmm. that end up impacting them negatively in the long run? You know, whether we come out of that, you know, regardless of when we actually come out of that trough, it's like, are they going to end up being like, maybe like second rung, third rung They're they're down the, the marketing ladder. Right. So yeah. super interested to hear your thoughts there. Yes and yes. Um, I think, you know, and obviously it depends on the company's status, what you're trying to do, where your burn is, what your goals are, like, you know, putting all that aside, I think that's such a foolish sacrifice. Uh, you know, you need to be wise about your investments. Maybe you take a few less big swings on bets that you thought might work and you rely a little bit more on what's tried and true, but to, to cut brand spend, which compounds in the long run uh, because one customer that has been touched by your brand will tell another and will tell another that is a compounding growth. So if you had X spend here on more lead gen focused stuff and, and about the other half on brand and you only cut brand, you might still be able to maintain short-term pipeline, but you'll get to a point six to 12 months from now where you've lost your juice. Yeah. Um, vice versa. Can't only spend on brand. 
right? Like you need to, and there's a lot of like, like less data-driven marketers out there that that's all they do is like they spend on these, you know, big brand swings. And it, you can't just have that either because you need to have some type of predictable leather, lever rather through which you can deploy, spend, grow in a, in a quick fashion. And so the way we look at our program investment, which is how we very strictly call it for that reason, because spend sounds like it's ROI centric. Investment is just that. You're investing in the brand. You're investing in the pipeline. You're investing in customer renewals. You're investing with your programs. Some of that programs is paid search. And that for us is a nice clean channel. It's ROI positive, but it's not a compounding impact in that one person that clicks on our ad is going to maybe come into uh, or clicks on our ad after searching a query, lands on a page and it's a demo. That might be an ROI positive campaign for us, mm -hmm. but there's no long-term brand benefit really, unless they grow and become a happy customer and then start starting at shopping, shouting at the top of a mountain, like an evangelist, yeah. which we hope they do. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, right? Like, you know, we deploy brand spend as well without any return expected at all directly attributable. And we hope, and we use our guts as marketers and, leveraging my product marketing team and my content team uh, to be able to resonate with the right pain point, the right messaging in the right medium. And we actually look at our, our program investment from a one-to-one -one perspective, 50-50. 50% should be lead gen bidding on pay, at our current stage, which is series B high growth, paid search, paid review. How are we deploying capital uh, to very quickly drive net new? But also, how are we deploying capital to grow the brand in the long term? Um, and so that's the way in which we currently look at it, but I also imagine that would change over time. Makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, so let's, let's dive a little bit more into, in, into kind of the downstream and the ops. Like, so it, you know, as, as you have like the, the different, um, channels and you, you are of course, like making sure that you have balanced investment, like in the right places, um, you know, do you see that um, in terms of downstream actions, how structured do you feel those need to be? And how successful do you think super structured versus like, you know, up to like a certain amount of leeway given, you know, the, the informed decision-making of SDRs, BDRs, AEs, you know, sort of the like balance between like inbound and outbound approach. What's the flexibility there? And what do you think is kind of the optimum level of, of uh, flexibility that, that can be given? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, as a BDR, I've done both the tried and true high velocity, let's go get it uh, at scale, nothing all automatic, but also the, the other, like, this is going to have high return, but it's so manual and it's cumbersome. And I think we've struck a really nice balance on, on the medium. And so what we do at ChartHop is there's a lot of concrete cadences. After the deal, after the call ends, you do this. Uh, when you have a new account that's a target for you, you put them here. So that structure is pretty clear. But the touch points and the messaging within is catered. Um, we have very few touch points, nurtures, whatever it is, that the first touch is automatic. Um, mm -hmm. I get outbounded all the time. I'm a software buyer and you can tell when the first touch is automatic, even if it's hitting my pain point, yeah. if it's not catered to me, uh, particularly post demo, I'm out. Right. Yeah. 
But if it is catered to me and you still hit on my pain points, then I'm with it. Yeah. And from there, the automation can be followed, you know, the, the follow-ups can be automated and that's cool, right? Like, hey, checking back in, I uh, was wondering if you wanted to hyperlink calendar here to find time uh, with me, right? That those touch points can be automated, but only if the first one is indeed hitting it nicely. Um, so as another example, we have a nurture sequence post-demo uh, that we put folks in if they're kind of ghosting us a bit. Some of those touch points are automated, but the BDR, the AE, takes the time to be careful about who they're putting in that. And then once they release it, they can set it and forget it uh, to an extent, and then it can automate. So it's a, it's, it's a middleman situation, and it's definitely finding that middle ground. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Like how many automated like first touches you get on the follow-up and you're just like, sure. uh, whatever. Like I actually even, you know, as a, as a marketer with this in mind, I actually have put things on my LinkedIn profile that if you go to my LinkedIn profile and just read it, like you will actually, and you speak to a couple of those things you're almost a hundred percent guaranteed to get at least a forward to the right person or a response. Mm -hmm. yep. so Even like, if I'm not oh, interested. Hey, here's the keys. Like just talk to that instead of being like, Oh yeah. Like we can just fully automate this. Yep. And even if I'm not interested, when I receive an email that I think is just fantastic, I will respond and say, we have no bandwidth or budget for this, but you did a really good job. And all it takes is a little bit of time yeah. that that said, like, I'm a DM buyer, right? So for me, it might be worth the time for, for someone who may, might not be, you know, you have to, as a BDR or an AE, use your discretion on when to personalize and when not to. Um, but I, you know, folks hit me with the right messaging all the time. And if, if it's not tailored to me, then I will be less likely to respond. And that's your point, not just uh, on initial touch point, but it's throughout the funnel experience for the prospect. Yeah, absolutely. It is funny because I think that, you know, probably three or four years ago, we went through a phase in ops where it was like, cool, we can automate everything. And then it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's, let's just taper that back. And you've definitely seen that in the last, like, I would say, you know, two and a half years, people mm -hmm. really starting to rethink that, that, yeah. And I would say, you know, if we were to be overly general about it, it's sort of like a, a, a happy medium between that like super automated inbound and then the super, super targeted, like one-to-one -one outbound approach, right? Yeah. Like where you're really getting a nice level of customization, but also the efficiencies, the, the technologies and the automation can bring. Yeah. I also like, uh, for what it's worth, I hate the binary breakdown of inbound versus outbound go to markets. Like that, yeah. like that to me, uh, is, is it, is it like the archaic way of thinking about it where you, have a BDR team and maybe a field sales team that goes to and tries to sling some enterprise deals by reaching out and taking folks to dinner. But then you have, you know, a different team that's only focused on inbound and the goals are completely separate. I know some folks might, might differ with my opinion on that, but I believe in one joint go to market outbound touch points and inbound touch points can totally uh, work together. That said, our BDR team doesn't go after smaller orgs, so it's not worth their while, right? So yeah. you as a business need to understand what is your unit econ CAC thresholds that work for you. Um, and for us, we've identified this deal size isn't worth our while. So if we can get some folks in and, you know, they're, they're easy layups for us to sell on it, great. 
but we are not going to go to market towards you with our BDR or, or our paid social ads, right? That's just not where we're going to spend our dollars or our time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's also, you know, that one of the advantages of, you know, PLG, right? Like, I mean, you, you have a free trial, you have, you know, really strong, like potential, like you, you could say organic uh, product-based conversion. I mean, you know, that can take care of a lot of your market and also significantly contribute to your revenue. But then, you know, on the enterprise side, I mean, yeah, targeting those potential plays and looking for signals in order to translate transition to that. Yeah. Optimize. And I can speak to the data here lightly. Uh, we re-released our free product on five, four, uh, today is six, two. So that's about 30 days ago. Uh, we've seen a lot of great growth. But the most notable high-level change that I've seen is our pipeline value and our pipeline ACV. Yeah. Pipeline value is still strong. Of course, the market downturn, there's a lot to be seen. Hopefully, we can continue to weather that storm. But the ACV of our overall pipe went through the roof. And the reason is reps uh, have become in a comfortable cadence of handling any inbound with the same level of care, right? Even if you're 50 employees to 1,000 employees, and of course, use your discretion, you're ready to jump on. You want to sell a deal. Deal's a deal. Our self-serve product has cannibalized smaller deals for us. Intentionally sure. so. Because for us, a $10,000 deal that might be cannibalized from someone using our self-serve product now is worth it because eventually that company may upgrade or may grow and be ready for a bigger tier. And if not, that's fine. But now our, our amazing sales team can spend time on the deals that will move the needle for us at scale. And if someone wants to self-serve upgrade within the app, amazing. Um, and we're just feeling the shift of that. And the leading indicator is the ACV of the pipeline we created in May. And it's certainly elevated compared to prior months. Oh, that's, that's sick. It, it's, it's fascinating too, because by effectively taking into consideration a long-term approach there, you're actually surfing your short-term approach to make current, you know, current targets as well. Yep. It's just like full, full efficiency, which is, yep. which is awesome. Yep. Uh, so, so cool. Um, so, you know, we were talking about the, uh, the tailoring of messaging, right? Kind of want to take it back there a little bit and, you know, this, this may have a, a specific answer. It may not, but I think again, it, it's probably circumstantial or, you know, given, given exactly what you're dealing with as a, as a company, but, um, coming out of that discussion around tailoring messaging, what do you think, what would you say is most important? Is it firmographic fit? Is it persona? Is it behavior? Um, you know, what is the most important out of those, those various uh, criteria in order to make sure you're, you're customized effectively? It is the intersection of all three. And I'll tell you what it is. Persona, segment, vertical, what's the pain point? So uh, Jordan Crawford on LinkedIn writes about this a lot. It's what's the pain point? How do you target by pain? And then how do you leverage uh, operations to programmatically build a system to allow your marketing team and your sales team at scale to speak to the pain? So I'll give you an example for Charhop. We traditionally have sold really well into high growth orgs. High growth orgs need tools to support their growing workforce. That's a really easy win for us. Um, one of the best signals of growth is uh, of, of, of a target for us is, is headcount growth. High growth orgs are typically hiring and we can pull that data. 
Uh, we partner with a really great MarTech company called Primer, uh, led by Keith Putnam Delaney. They're doing a great job over there. And what we're doing in a workflow is automating the creation of specific orgs that are creating or that are undergoing headcount growth, what is the percent delta on the headcount growth? What are the number of new roles month over month that were created within that org? Right, push that into Salesforce. What location are they in? What segment are they in? Okay, enriched from Clearbit. What, ver from Clearbit. what vertical are they in? Great. You now, as a BDR, have a list of headcount, percentages, numbers, titles, e emails, uh, locations, segment, all this stuff. All of that pain point. What's the pain based on this segment? It's probably here, you know, lower down market might be a little bit like get out of spreadsheets, up market, yeah. consolidate your systems. Gosh, you're probably your 900 person org, you're running it, you're having trouble and talk about personalization of messaging that token. Mm -hmm. And this is again, all operations leads this go to market. That token of the number of new roles is pushed into the sequence, yeah. right? So the BDR is waking up and QAing a manual email but it's all automated with the tokens, the play, the pain, the persona, and that type of playbook is that rinse and repeat endeavor through which uh, you target the pain point based on all the params you described, rinse and repeat, see if it works, see if it didn't, and go it again. Yeah, no, very, very, very cool. I think, I, you know, the, the next point is like, as you're, as you're doing this analysis, what have you found as, the most nimble ways or the flexible ways in which you're able to manage budgets and allocation there? Um, it's a good question. I think the first thing that you need to do is to make sure you've chopped off enough budget that you think you need to accomplish your goals. Because once you have the budget, if your leader trusts you, it's on you to deploy it in in the right channels and mediums. And it's not just spend or investment, it's also time of your team. Um, but if you don't have the initial scope, it's really hard to go and ask. Um, and so at a high level, first and foremost, it means doing your model and being like, I think my team needs this much juice in these specific areas to go achieve our goals. Now, I'm going to be super cautious with this statement because especially in the downturn, you need to be really efficient with spend. You can be hyper cautious, analytical on everything you're doing, even critical to a point poking holes and why this might not be working. If you get to the end of the year and you're obviously communicating throughout and you don't hit your goals, that stinks. If you get to the end of the year and you hit your goals, but you went 70 K over budget. It's okay. Right. I'm assuming your budget's large. Like, like it's all good. Again, you can't just all of a sudden be like, we deployed with too much extra cash. I'm sorry, CFO. Hey, I really think we can continuously take this bet. It's propelling us to find success. Here's the data that I think supports it. Here's my qualitative thoughts. I'd like to continue to deploy cash here and it's going to probably go over budget. Are we all on board for this? Right. Same context, even if you're not going over budget. We have our program investment mapped out by channel, paid search, paid social, by the specific platform, Google Bing. But we have the flexibility as a growth team to go to my leader, my boss, my CMO and be like, hey, or our CFO, I'd actually like to reshuffle this a bit because we're going to achieve better lead gen here and we can still grow brand this way. Are we all good for that? How will we know it worked? What are we measuring success by? Great. Talk to you in a month. Let's circle back and understand how building that relationship and trust is huge. And then being flexible and being communicative is the other piece. 
Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that that's an interesting aspect for where I'd like to go next is, you know, what I hear is at Chartop, there's great things happening in terms of coordination, in terms of communication, in terms of the, the ability to fail fast, right? Or to just fail at all and like just own it and then move on. Um, and I think that, you know, the ability to communicate between, you know, the C-level leadership across the board there and then also like interdepartmentally is sounds fantastic. So really interested, like, and this is this is a question that I think is an ongoing debate within the, the MOP space overall, but it's like sales ops, revenue ops, marketing ops, you know, is that all one and the same? Is it separate? Should it be consolidated to some degree? Should it be part of the go-to-market orgs or should it be back office in terms of the operations function? You know, as, as I mean, many of us, you know, our, our intended career paths are in the direction of VP, C-level marketing and operations roles uh, or sales roles. Interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, if you were to have your pick and like design your organization, like, you know, exactly how you would like to see it, what does that look like? Definitely separate, but definitely lockstep. Like only separate if lockstep, if unable to align cross-functionally can't be separate. So uh, I can describe a little bit of how this works at Charhop. Uh, oh, the huge other pieces. Who do you have in the room to do the job? Right. Where do the skills currently align? Right. So when I joined Charhop, I was the only operations professional in the org. Yeah. It was best suited for me to handle Salesforce at the time and be our admin. Huh. I am not a sales ops professional. I am certainly not a Salesforce certified admin. So at the time when we were small stage, ops was ops. It was your boy, right? I'm just there. I'll, I'll handle the stack. I'll yeah. buy HubSpot. I'll buy outreach. I'll hook up Salesforce. We'll get it going. Great. Ops is yeah. ops. At much larger companies, it's obviously not the case, right? Like this, it would never be. Um, but what I do think, and this actually aligns with what a lot of what Charhop does in terms of org design, is what we found a happy medium with is marketing ops lives under my team. Revenue ops is kind of this in between. Sales ops lives under sales. But we are a matrix growth org. And it actually includes some products for some product people now. Uh, given that we have a, a product-led growth, go-to-market, a self-serve product. So there's people signing up for chart hop free and that data pushes into Salesforce. How do we reconcile that, right? Like that's a huge piece of our operational infrastructure now. So we have meetings every week, two of them actually, just to align. What are the bodies of work we're moving forward? Who's the project lead here? What are the blockers? Who else needs to be involved? The reason we're able to bucket out the different ops departments is because we align cross-functionally and it's not just leadership, it's folks on the ground floor yeah. and all the way in between. Um, so I really feel like that is the best way to do it, at least at a stage like Charthop is, 200 employees at a larger org. You, know, you may need to centralize that and have an operations team, but that operations team, if they're just one operations team and it is centralized, might not be giving sales what it needs, might not be able to give marketing what it needs. And some I've seen that before where you have a centralized ops org and it doesn't, it, it's not aligned. And so I think that can be the danger there, especially at smaller orgs if you try to do that too soon. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the worst case scenario is when the operations team literally just becomes an order taking entity and sort of a project management entity where it's like, well, no, this is priority or this is what we're currently tasked with. And they're not necessarily thinking about the service level or the direct impact to the organization overall. They're just looking at like, yep, check the box. We did the work like that's done now instead yeah. of, OK, how are we actually facilitating the go to market motion? which yeah. is the most important thing. No, it's such a good point. And to actually add on to that quickly, I've worked with uh, one amazing BI engineer and I've worked with a bunch of BI engineers who are all amazing, brilliant. Right. Um, but some BI engineers are happy to just take the marching order and write the query and build the dashboard. And that's awesome. That's great. It's all good. The most amazing BI engineers that I've worked with, and obviously this is a really specific, more technical person, but the same applies to an operations uh, professional. Are you able to advise and proactively find insights based on what you're seeing and dealing with? So we had eventually built a beautiful Looker instance at a previous org that was piping in spend, HubSpot touchpoints, Salesforce touchpoints, amazing this model. And the BI professional could have said, here you go. But instead he said, and did you see that we hooked up this and that to actually dynamically perpetuate ROI calculations for every campaign for both influence and source pipeline? I thought that would be effective knowing the goals that you have at hand and I'll keep an eye out for this moving forward. Yeah. Like, holy shit, excuse my French. That that was an aha moment to me and uh, the analysts on my team. I think it does a great job of doing the same thing. It's not like, here's the data. It's like, and based on this, this would be my recommendation because they're informed and in lockstep with the strategy of the org, not just taking orders. Yeah, yeah, and understanding, I mean, making sure that that, that use case is communicated that the actual strategy that's there is communicated but then also like for you know the differences and i think we could this is like a whole other conversation right like looking at like the differences between of course somebody who considers themselves to be a data engineer versus a bi analyst versus you know a a you know uh a business operations person or you know a, a marketing revenue sales operations person like un unfortunately it's been so siloed at times right and especially like the beginnings of these various roles individuals careers are very siloed at first and getting mm -hmm. the opportunity to kind of cross-functionally work across those areas is is a challenge i think that we could all like sponsor especially from like the middle management level on up totally uh at enterprise level orgs i get it like you just you need to silo right you need to have a bi team that does bi um the, if i were giving advice to anyone who wants to get a more generalized scope go join an early stage startup because yes. you'll get exposed to everything um uh, and you might feel at the time like gosh i'm so generalized my specific skills and niches aren't developed more that will come because eventually you've got to pick it and stick with it. Right. Um, but the, you know, I've kind of dipped my toes in a lot of different areas and it's because every org I've joined, almost every org has been really early stage. And I've seen how different pieces grow and how different leaders come in at different times and then gotten exposure to the other, okay, this is a BI engineer and this is what he's doing. But I, I understand how all the systems speak together beforehand. Cause I'm one of the only ones working on it. Uh, so that's been a really valuable experience for me. That's killer. And I mean, just in, in closing on that, I mean, you know, considering the space that you're in at Chartoff and, and things are, are moving so well, do you see, you know, just 
from your particular position position in the in that market um do you see like potential overlaps or things that are becoming more aligned between marketing and revenue operations and hr operations fin ops things like that um super super interested to hear your perspective on that and just also how you know chart up to one degree or another can help there yeah so much parallel uh rapid consolidation of systems uh extremely high velocity digitization of this the, of of the space um and progressing through that lens um i think as well like what marketing ops does and the technology to support that and what people ops does and the technology to support that has a similar desired outcome and it's to help us plan forecast make better decisions right like that is is a big piece of it so from my end as a marketer what mar ops and you know rev ops helps me do is what's my desired outcome revenue what are the different touch points or aspects that might influence that? Well, to do that, I've got to import data from six different systems. How do I do that? How are we tracking attribution at scale or at least touch points and trying to get an understanding of that? As a people ops professional, maybe your desired outcome is uh, reducing attrition. Well, to understand what reduces attrition, you need to combine systems. Get your equity data in there. Get your learning and development data in there. Get your uh, compensation data in there, right? You need to consolidate systems to then be able to model and forecast and be like, ah, attrition actually happens once people are invested or when people are in this department or in this location, uh, you know, you, you just yeah. need to be able to consolidate data, consolidate systems, visualize that and do it with others in the org and collaborate, align and go forward. So uh, I think that uh, that's that's probably the common thread there. Um, what I would say to plug Charhop is that we, we do that very well aggregating data from different systems uh, through a really powerful API, pulling it into an amazing UX experience where the user can look at org charts, org design, drag and drop different headcount scenarios, different pre-baked reports based on attrition by headcount or race or whatever it might be. Uh, and it's a great tool and you can check it out for free on charhop.com. There you go. Check yeah, it out. Throw it in there. Awesome. Ben Pollack, head of growth marketing at Charhop. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, just a rad conversation overall. I uh, really appreciate it. And I uh, hope that our, our listeners enjoy just as much as I have. Yeah. Thank you all so much. You and Laura and the whole team, Drew, you, you guys are the best and appreciate you taking the time with me. All right, killer. Hey, enjoy the rest of the day. Have a great rest of your week. And uh, otherwise, uh, team, everybody listening, uh, feel free to check out uh, Marketing Ops Confessions uh, on your favorite podcast platform and uh, talk to you all soon. Thanks, Jared. Sure.